it's me, it's me, it's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James, and by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass, Billy Gunn, together we are the New Age Outlaws, and you're listening to the VOC Nation, and if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you, suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. That's pretty exciting, right, Omega? Indeed. Yeah, right. HIAC Talk Radio is always exciting. Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, Guardian. I think he broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. All right, well, here's the first thing. We will have modern wrestling to talk about. Because not only did the Keith Lee... Which I can't really... Uh, well, we'll talk about it later. Keith, Keith Lee made an announcement right at the top of NXT, but there was a shocking, ret- a shocking return, a shocking debut, a shocking debut, shocking... Uh, I don't know what to call it. Appearance. Appearance. There you go, an appearance. Eddie Kingston on AEW challenging for the TNT, uh, hopefully remodeled soon, uh, title. Um, I want to say hi to Jay, who's in the room. Jay, who's a saucy, saucy man. And Dax, Thanos, Deadpool is also in the room. So, all three of them? All three of them. All wow. three, three for the price of one. Three for the price of one. Uh, so if you go to VOCNation.com or if you go to the Stadium Journey t- uh, website, you will see a link to the last interview that just aired live last night. And uh, this interview uh, came up... Pfft, yeah, we've been preparing for it for months. You know, I did my research, and apparently not enough research, because we interviewed Emma uh, Tiedemann, who is the play-by-play voice for the Portland Sea Dogs minor league baseball team. And uh, Craig, please, it's it's still a little bit. I don't I don't know up or higher. I I don't know what to do. It's just that you're so damn hot. It's picking up every I'm, breath. I know, I'm, man. I'm holding my breath. Uh, don't hold your breath too much. Well, you might want to hold your breath for this one. Dan's one of the best at telling the difference between the, th- the three. Thank you. I try to keep track of Thanos, Deadpool, Dax. I could usually tell when one is talking, but I like to introduce you as all three. So anyway, Emma Tiedemann is the uh, play-by-play voice, the voice of the Portland Sea Dogs. And uh, I did research, looked up who she was, and looked up her work, and calling baseball games, and uh, great. She's can't wait to interview her. She's a great great play-by-play person and 
be a fun interview. And I, you know, who doesn't like baseball? Except people who don't like baseball. If that was not a true statement, <laughs> anywho, she begins the interview and she goes, my grandfather was in commentary. Uh, when I grew up in the Dallas area, my grandfather was the, hold on, Craig, this gets better. My grandfather announced for the Dallas Cowboys, Texas Rangers, high school football, and world-class championship wrestling. And I said, hold on a second. <laughs> I didn't say this in, on air. I'm being quiet because it's not my turn. So I was like, it's two people. <laughs> this is two people. And I know it's not Mark Lorenz. I'm like, is it Bill Mercer? Sure enough, God damn it. We're interviewing Bill Mercer's granddaughter on Stadium Journey, and I didn't even know. Go ahead, Craig. Oh, my God. Uh, she's got royal blood coursing through her veins <laughs> i didn't even know i texted dean to let him know and i wasn't going to text you on purpose i wanted to break this to you on air because i wanted the reaction because it, so i per, i almost started texting you and i was like oh wait i'll tell him tomorrow so <laughs> i go so the old interview we did with Tully Blanchard where uh, uh, our Omega Squad, uh, quick summon Hugh Jackman. Oh, Ryan Reynolds is talking. Yeah, well, I don't. It, it, Ryan Reynolds gets one up on Hugh Jackman every time. But um, so I text Dean and uh, our interview we did years ago with Tully Blanchard and uh, uh, Omega Squad, our very own lovely Omega Squad, asked the question about the cage match and admitted to Tully foolishly that he hadn't seen it. And I know you were, you were listening live and he goes, I, I was. Yeah, no, we have done interviews like that. Um, we, I'll explain in a second. We'll get to the interview thing in a second. Why not? We have much to talk about, but it'll probably be quick depending on how we both felt about extreme rules. Um, so he goes, you haven't seen the cage match between me, Magnum TA, and, uh, and Omega. And, uh, yes. No, no, sir, I haven't. Because, well, if you didn't see the cage match for this interview, you didn't do your due diligence. Cut to, what was the date yesterday? The 21st? 21st. 21st of July, and I text Dean, yeah, I missed that part about her. And he shoots back, well, you didn't do your due diligence. <laughs> Full circle, baby. I immediately texted Omega and told him. <laughs> it's like, we've both been due diligence. But uh, if you are uh, interested at all, and you should be, because she is a fantastic commentator, go to VOCNation.com or to StadiumJourney.com and watch the interview now, where she talks about, briefly, how inspirational her grandfather was. Bill Mercer was firsthand encouraging to her for her to pursue her profession and uh is was one of her mentors and i kept it at that because i didn't want to make it a bill mercer episode but i was like well he's still kicking 94 he's still around he tell he still likes talking about those stories and telling stories i don't know if that'll evolve into anything but uh but still the fact that i mean you're you're one degree or two degrees removed from from bill mercer so (laughs) That's absolutely incredible. I very happily was able to tell her that the apple did not at all fall far from that tree. So she's that good, huh? She's great. She's a great commentator. 
She's fantastic. Uh, her, my friend Mike uh, Ventola is the color commentator. Uh, color. He's the play-by-play guy for the um, not the Reading Phillies, the, um, the High Valley Iron Iron yeah, Pigs. Yeah, okay. Iron Pigs could be doing professional. Just okay. it's all a timing thing at that point when you're that good. Um, the guy who does the radio for the Washington Caps was the Hershey Bears play-by-play guy for years. And the only thing that held him back was the guy that had the position before him. <laughs> so it's only a matter of time for both of those people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so I just thought that was a nice little tidbit to start the show with. I'm very, very happy to tell you that story live. It was amazing. I'm even happier to remember that Bill Mercer is still alive. Yes, because... yes. I, you know how that story goes for world class, you just assume the worst. Yeah, and uh, and we cover in wrestling historian. It's uh, it's a lot of that going. So, um, yeah. So that's that's incredible, Dan. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, it was real hard for me. I kept it professional, but it was real hard for me to not go. Hey, um, <laughs> it's like no, this is not about him. It's about her. <laughs> Very good interview, though. Again, you could okay. hear you could hear the uh, you could hear the influence and the inspiration. I guarantee it. No doubt, no doubt. You you scored a, a huge coup, my friend. I uh, it, it's funny because I was explaining to the gentleman who might not know who Bill Mercer is. Is uh, back in the day when he was, there was not a lot of color commentators in wrestling. No, even in the eighties when he was doing it, mm-hmm. there was very few exceptions to a two man booth or a two person booth. Of yeah. course, as the eighties went on, that changed. Mm-hmm. But Bill Mercer was calling world class for 30 for, years yeah, for you know, its entire existence but more importantly during its heyday when it was the most popular territory in the nwa and in some cases in the entire world because That's of cool. ratings that were taking place in texas for world class at the height of the von eric um superstardom uh, were astronomical and we're going to get into ratings later on in, in historian but um <laughs> Yeah, and he called it all. I mean, the the uh, <laughs> the, the highs the, and the lows, the highs and the lows. Yes, but bonus high was no high. He called the, the the spot the most imitated spot in wrestling history. The cage door into the head that first happened Christmas night, nineteen eighty two. Uh, he called the all the um, the Von Erich Freebird matches. He unfortunately was the first voice that fans heard when he had to deliver bad news. Yeah. During during the lows when we were starting to lose Von Erichs and the Gino Hernandez, Gino Hernandez yeah, and the Chris Adams and yeah, but that silky smooth delivery that nobody yeah. can Hi, duplicate anymore. Bill Mercer, no. Welcome to World Class Championship Wrestling. And, this uh, is Bill Mercer reporting. Yeah, from the world famous Sportatorium, the only building designed specifically for professional wrestling. And it helped that he had uh, a unique that, voice that too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And to the point where, when World Class was syndicated, so you had people in Philadelphia, in New York, going crazy over World Class Championship Wrestling, uh, because that was only available. I only read about it in the After magazines, but then when he finally got to see it. And hear it, it was uh, it was a whole separate wrestling unto itself because during the 80s, which is why the wrestling historian means so much to me and I try to impart 
to our younger listeners what it was like when it wasn't the Zenith and the Monopoly that it is now. Back then, when you had, you can watch 10 or 12 different territories in one day, World Class stood out because World Class was doing something that no other wrestling was doing. They had cameras in the ring during introductions and then at ringside during, and this, the WWF wasn't doing it. No one in the NWA was doing it. Georgia's Championship Wrestling wasn't doing it. And again, like he's eloquently points out before the beginning of every world class is the only auditorium in the United States built specifically for professional wrestling. There wasn't anything else that was happening there. They didn't convert into a basketball court or to ice hockey rink. It was made for professional wrestling. Yeah, and I – go ahead. Sorry. In, in that tiny little non-air-conditioned box that would freeze – that you would also freeze to death in the winter. Um, that's where some of the most amazing memories were made. And generations were there. I mean, but you saw – one thing. one of the things that I miss the most now, Dan, is when I watch professional wrestling – is the not only the lack of children there, but the lack of seniors there, old people. And you watch a world class uh, telecast, you saw kids, and you saw old people, and grandmothers and grandfathers uh, there, and with the kids, and it, it went on to connect it all together, you know. He gets his fatherly type bonus, uh, his mellow sounding voice. You know, you could listen to Bill Mercer talk about anything. You know, he was a, he was a father figure just from his voice alone. You listen to him uh, read the yellow pages and it would be entertaining. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the Sportatorium, it was literally built for boxing and wrestling. Sure, Elvis and uh, Elvis played there once and well, once, a bunch of times and <laughs> they had the country jamboree there and all, but it was literally the stage would be the wrestling ring with the ropes come, uh, you know, taken down and everybody sitting around them like, uh, like it was, uh, in the round. So it was literally a wrestling building. And, uh, mm. for better or for worse, it's probably worse that it's gone. <laughs> but, uh, it's weird because it's like the spectrum. We have fond memories of that building, but that building was a dump. <laughs> The same thing on a smaller scale, kind of, to the Sportatorium with great memories, but the rats and the uh, fryer, fryer, fi- fries fire. Holy Jesus. You say that? Wow. That, that I've, I've been to more wrestling bouts at the Spectrum than any other concert, Sixers, Flyers uh, game ever. Did I ever tell you about my uh, my obstructive view seats at the Spectrum? No. They sold tickets, uh, kids, to obstructed view seats, so and you bought them. So when the Sixers during the height of the Dr. J era, oh, uh, when the Portland Trailblazers came back, and the Portland Trailblazers, the team that beat us in the 1977 NBA Finals, they only come to Philadelphia once a year. So that was a ticket that everybody wanted to see, and the NBA was nothing like it was now. Uh, there was no sellouts all the time, except when Doc was in town. So when Portland Trailblazers came to town, my dad got tickets. And so we all went as a family. So I was at the very tippy top of the spectrum looking down on this court. But not only did I have to look down, I had to look like this because right directly in front of my seat is a stone pillar. 
That's what they mean by obstructed view. So they would sell you seats where you would sit in front of a column. Okay, so I had to do this the whole time and look around. And keep in mind, I was 11. So, and I was <laughs> Did your youngest. dad sit? Did your dad take it? Uh, my mom and my neighbors took my. Oh, my did my, your mom yeah. and your neighbors sit in the good seat and stick you? Of with course. Them? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Again, because I was the youngest. <laughs> you sit here, Craig. It'll be fine. Yeah, here you, here you go. You're fine. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, I love your mom even more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, if it wasn't you, it would have been me. Yeah. <laughs> You sit next to the guy that smells bad. Oh, thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks, family. Thanks a lot. Um, so, let me just say right off the bat that uh, Impact AEW, Impact and AEW had the better shows than WWE this week. Sorry. Uh, and this is the this is after three. I took three weeks off after all the stuff that came out with speaking out and everything that was going on. I was like, I need to take a break. I can't watch any of this right now. I'm just not in the mood. I was watching the old stuff. Uh, I got through all the way through eighty nine and ninety in three weeks. That is on the WWE Network. That is, and uh, come back to. I think the first event I watched was Slammiversary. I was like, you know what? I watch Slammiversary. I watch Impact. And skipping the matches where the spousal abusers are in, it was the best show that weekend. Uh, I, I know you didn't watch it, but uh, I I do recommend uh, if you can rent the Invite app if you have the means. Uh, go ahead and uh, watch that. Watch Slammiversary, except for the two matches where the okay those guys yeah, where those guys were on. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do know what you're saying. Now I know big doings were happening in TNA because, and I know it's if it's big because it's happening on social media, and I don't hear anything about it. And social media explodes, and I'm hearing name after name after name showing up on TNA, and uh, it's like old home week, and it's a reunion, and it's a I can't remember the last time I even mentioned the letters TNA on this podcast, but Six you months. bring out yeah, but you bring out so many great stars or informer stars or debuting stars on TNA. Yeah. EC3 and uh, EY's back and Gallows and Anderson. Um, you're going to get my attention. Uh, my favorite was uh, Heath Slater. Yeah. Um, because he kind of just walks on behind them during a segment and grabs the mic, does his thing. Uh, um Brian Myers, what did he? Brian Myers went at I, now. I forget his name. Kurt Hawkins. Kurt Hawkins, yes, who had a great shirt on. Yes, it did cause, <laughs> because I got fired. Yeah, <laughs> I like his tweet. Sorry, Vince. <laughs> uh, the knockouts gauntlet was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had two Santina spots, so you know that took away from it a little bit. Um, Impact is good. It's no Craig Lagan show, but it'll do. Also, put over my newest tweet. Now, your newest tweet came out when we were promoting a new episode, so no, I won't. Um, Sorry, great one. I'll put it over later when the episode's done. Uh, and I will say this: I, I, Eric Young's one of my favorite wrestlers the last twenty years, but. I kind of don't feel bad for him in the WWE. Why not? I mean, I could kind of see how Vince saw a 40-year-old mid-carder. And went, what am I pushing him for? But knowing well, that I know what Eric Young can 
provide to the show, I still question why they bothered in the first place. I don't know why Sanity was broken up. Sanity I, Vince is with, an idiot now. With Nikki could have been your next great heel faction for many years to come. Well, if uh, they make the nation version two heel, I'm going to yeah. have a problem. But what do I know? Um, go ahead. I, I thought no, you had more to say. No, I, it, it's good. I hated what I was so proud of uh, Eric Young. And I echo your statements about him. He's okay. one of my favorite performers. Let me add this, uh, your impressions of what Harry just said that, uh, he needs to drop the sanity S. Um, who needs to drop the sanity S? Eric Young. Uh, no, no. Um, <laughs> I thought him and Sanity, they were one of the best heels. Not only were the but they were not only were they the best heel group in NXT, bringing them up, it seems like they all came up together at the same time. They bring up like five different, you know, people. And Sanity was one and uh, the Viking Raiders were another, and they go, they all brought in the revival. They all came up at the same time. It's like, okay, we can't bring them all in because now someone's going to get lost in the shuffle. And unfortunately, it was sanity. Hats off to Nikki, who still has a spot and has title wins and is still prominent in the in the very thin uh, women's division in the WWE now. But her with them, I thought she was. Uh, Harry, what does it go back to while Craig finishes this point? I'm glad that that at least Eric has a place to show his stuff, show his wear. Even if it's back to the bottom with TNA, um, he's too good not to be on television somewhere. Well, I was going to say, in 20 seconds, Eric Young and EC3 look better uh, than they ever did in WWE and EC3 better than he ever did in his previous stint with TNA. I don't know, it's just me. Uh, I don't know what Eric Young does other than a, a version of Sanity. That's what he does now. That's what he is. He doesn't go back to Super Eric, or does he go back to generic wrestler number four? <laughs> I just don't know what else he does except for this. That's what he is now. Um, Whatever he is, he's he he works. Uh, and obviously, because Eric Young keep, keeps getting a job everywhere, um, TNA was the only place where he was utilized properly outside of NXT. And him being part of a heel group works best for him because the guy can do everything. Yeah, uh, Eric, I, I, you get Eric. You can use Eric Young in an AJ Styles spot. You can use Eric Young in a in an MVP spot. You can use Eric Young in a um, in a Cedric Alexander or Ricochet spot. Uh, the guy can do everything, and he can give you whatever you need as a heel or a face. But uh, unfortunately, he's always been. I, or I even thought – I hoped against hope that he and Bobby Roode could reconnect because they would be an amazing tag team. The tag team that Bobby Roode had with uh, with Chad Gable could have easily been Eric Young. Nothing, okay. against Chad, nothing against Chad Gable. So you're suggesting, Harry, a mishmash of everything that's come before? I don't know. You know how I feel about reboots. I like them and all, but nobody else does. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, also happened was Extreme Rules. Horror show? No, I'm not calling it that. It's so stupid. Well, it's, it's aptly named because it was a horror show. Garbage. Uh, he is a re reinventable kind of guy, though, Eric Young. Yeah, well, I'm sure he'll be fine. 
Yeah, he always is. Uh, when this gets stale, he'll do something. He'll change it up just enough. Mm-hmm. Um, he could be a Nashville Predators since he's a Nashville Predators fan. Yeah. Don't know how that happened, but I guess living in Nashville that many years will do that. Uh, so yes, the horror show aptly named indeed, which was a fine show except for the match that they put the most effort into. Which was the I guess I don't know what I thought I'd expect when the the stipulation of the match was to pop an eyeball out. They did it the best they could with the amount of gore they could use, I guess. Uh, I mean, let's start at the fact, Craig. I know what you're going to say. It was a stupid <laughs> stipulation to begin with. Uh, and this is where you take over. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, unless, and the only thing, Dan, the only reason I would w- w- could think of that they would even entertain this uh, ridiculous, impossible to deliver on premise is is Rey Mysterio's contract. Because if they weren't confident that he was going to sign, then you can say, okay, well, he lost his eye. We'll paint a ping pong ball red. And that way we'll, we can never have to see Rey Mysterio again. So that way if he sh- when he shows up on AEW or New Japan somewhere with two working eyes, they say, well, he's not in our company, so uh, we don't care. So since it doesn't, it doesn't count anyway. Um, but if they do renegotiate uh, Ray's contract, um, then they got some explaining to do. Not that they have to or not that it, it, it matters because the entire premise was incredibly, uh, like you said, stupid and impossible to deliver upon. You have two really great, wrestlers that could put on a great wrestling match and if not even getting into because now it, it it what i hated about this match other than the premise was now it got me thinking and now i'm critiquing it now why is he if the idea of the match between two great wrestlers is to get out the other per, to poke out the other person's eye which i always couldn't understand that poke someone's eye out sure um you could poke it in um which is always was, was happened to me why were there any wrestling holds or, or that? Why was there even an attempt to do anything? And why is the only way to take out someone's eye? Was it mandated? Was it in the contract that it has to be by the ring steps? Well, here's, what, here's another question I'd like an answer to. Why does pushing on your eyeball on the ring steps pop it out? Yeah. That way. I, don't, I guess I'm mean, out of commission. I don't I'm, know not a, ever... I'm not a medical uh, no, pre- professional at all. I'm, you know, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm not, not a doctor. Do- <laughs> yeah, my favorite. I'm not a doctor per se. I'm not a doctor but, per se, but um, uh, yeah. yeah, that that was that was and un, un, and unfortunately that was the second stupidest match <laughs> of the card. What was the first? Uh, the the cinematic piece of crap that was the. Um, I, I didn't even I turned it off before that. I have well, to go the, back the, and watch it. The uh the Oscar uh Sasha match which was had an equally stupid ending. Good um, match ruined by a stupid ending. Yeah. I so I don't know what what the uh Can I say though that Sasha and Bailey have continuously been highlights those two nights and I assume the weeks prior. Can I ask you something, Dan? Is Bailey more popular now as a heel than she ever was as a face? I think she might. She's more popular now as a heel than she was as a face on the main roster. Okay. I was there the night she debuted on the main roster. I was there the night that they tag teamed 
her and Sasha tag team in the WWE on the main roster at Battleground. Mm-hmm. Battlefield? Battle, I don't know. Battle, Battle something. Fudge. Battleship? Battle fudge. Um, mm-hmm. And we discussed it on the show. The time between Sasha getting in the ring, mm-hmm. the pause of the music before hitting the music, and the music hitting, and people going nuts was perfect. And then it got, of course, assume, as much as I assumed, I remember uh, Omega Squad saying, you know, that thing about stuff working on the main roster that won't work on the main roster that worked in NXT. NXT. And that'd be one of them. Like, There's no way the Bailey thing works out. And uh, he was kind of right because it got real stale real quick. This bad Bailey is working perfectly. <laughs> and Bailey and Sasha are the best thing on either show. It's just like, the, and I'm not comparing it to the level of Steve Austin. So please mm-hmm. hold your cards and letters for somebody who cares. Um, the basic idea of once he went heel, his real personality and his goofy personality not the comedy gimmick that came later with the cookies and Deborah. I'm saying just more laid back and more re- just more than just one speed. Steve, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Same thing with Bailey. The, the, the stuff that she can do now that she couldn't do as a face. And she's actually almost becoming more likable to other people. I think it was great either way. Cause I'm a Bailey guy. I don't think, huh? But more people are reacting to it now because they're seeing more than just <laughs> you know the the only thing that's getting to me dan is be not only they are the best act on either like i said on either show the sasha and bailey yeah. show um i'd love to see how it plays out um when we get the the crowds back but the oh, thing God, yeah. is because they are so popular and everyone saw how much they love sasha and they love bailey they're supposed to be heels so that's the only thing that they're, they're, they're slipping up on because they're so popular and so big, but they're supposed to be heels. As long and as they're still doing mean things to the good guys, it doesn't matter to me, really. Okay. okay. Uh, it will only matter when they, when, they get, when they start booing the good guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because like, uh, yeah. then, then it becomes a stone-cold effect when it becomes he's such a, a, a badass heel that they start cheering for him, and then you get a natural baby face that comes in, and he gets booed. It'll be Kurt Angle all over again. Yeah, we yeah. will see. We will see. But yeah, that was uh, yeah. So Extreme Rules Horror Show uh, was a festering piece of crap, and the main event was a blue whale size uh, piece of dung that uh, <laughs> should never be associated in any way, shape, or form with professional wrestling. I just appreciate after the curse fest that happened last week with the Concussion Boy that. Uh... <laughs> As soon as I make fun of him, he says something makes me laugh. Bully and Sasha bad TV. No, I like Bully. Bully. I just Bully. <laughs> I'll give you three guesses who said that. I I I know our friend from across the pond. Uh, Bailey and Sasha are the best thing on either show. Outside of MJF, there's no one really that I want to see on TV every week, uh, just because of their uh, the inter- their interplay and. How they're this strong now with with a limited fan and limited fan interaction. When we get the crowd back, hopefully 
which will be sooner than later. And this, um, because the only other person that's getting the shaft really with the lack of fan is, is, uh, is Drew. Uh, and because the only the pure wrestling match on this card was him and Dolph Ziggler. And because it's impossible to have a bad match with Dolph Ziggler under any circumstances. And those guys do a great job. Uh, and as much as it's not necessary for them to wrestle again, since Drew already beat Dolph, uh, to use the excuse for them to wrestle again, I'm fine with. And I'm fine with feeding Drew, uh, not to these, nothing, nothing against uh, Dolph, not, no slight to Bobby Lashley, feeding Drew lesser heels or mid-card heels until the crowd comes back and then you can feed him the, the big guns and then you can feed him a Seth Rollins or a Randy Orton, then um, that will be the, uh, the, uh, the, the culmination because uh, outside of Bailey and Sasha, Drew's the one that's really taking the, taking the loss of no, of no crowd, in my opinion. Harry said Drew should lose the title to Bobby Lashley. If there was people, I could possibly see that. But then again, if there was people, would Bobby would get the kind of uh, uh, push or kind of heat? It would that, sound the same. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. There's nothing. But hats off to MVP, who's really resurrected his career with the the hurt business. I mean, again, a great a great stable, and you're you getting underutilized men who are great in the ring but don't have the mic skills. Sheldon Benjamin, Bobby Lashley. <laughs> And I wouldn't be adverse if if Cedric did a heel turn, and and joined up just because I like those the dynamic of those guys. But you know MVP on the mic. Let me tell you right now, Cedric is the best wrestler in that group. Yeah, I really hope they do uh, form Nation Number Two, Nation mm-hmm. Version Two, whatever they call it. Maybe they do call it the Hurt Business, I because I love that name. The what? The uh, the, the Hurt Business. The Hurt Business. In, That's yeah. fine too. Like cause it, bit, yeah, because business is good. Uh, and then you won't have the comparisons to the nation, which all the white people on the internet are trying to do anyway. Um, but I, yeah, I was watching MVP this weekend and I was like, man, who knew? And maybe it's a product of the pandemic and certain people can't work and others can't get there and can't get out of their house, you know, can't travel. Mm-hmm. That he's had this second resurgence because he had the original and I will call the TNA run a resurgence because he had a good run there for a little while. Mm-hmm. And you, you have the second resurgence where he's, it's just, he's just working. I want to credit the, the, the documentary that was on vice after dark side of the ring. When they remember, do you remember the, um, the wrestling uh, on vice TV is before dark side of the ring. They did a documentary on the, the, the world of professional wrestling. They went to, to uh, Mexico to look at young luchadores that started when they were 15. They went to Japan to look at teenage girls that started. And they went to an a wrestler whose best days were behind it, and it was MVP. And they showed him wrestling at high school. Um, and this is the first time I'd seen him in five years. And that's when he, he first time I saw him wrestle with the Punisher. Yeah. Um, yeah, Punisher right here. I, um, nice. And the comic book stuff. But he was in front of like 12, 20 people. And he was talking about, and he had a son, and, and they showed that's when they showed him looking at Kofi winning the title and hugging Shad Gaspard. Oh, yeah. And um, but that, and but after that, that's when MVP. The next time I saw him was at the Royal Rumble. So I believe that was 
that has some, had to have something to do with it because the only time MVP that was on national TV anywhere was on that Vice special on on, on professional wrestling. I just really hope they do something with them because I feel that the internet reaction is making up for the lack of crowd reaction they're getting. And it's something that people will watch all of them, especially yeah. MVP. But it, yeah, it just occurred to me when he was working there, like, oh, that's pretty cool. I, I like that. He's still there. Every time he comes out, I'm like, Oh, I'm so glad he's still there. Yeah. Um, Harry wants to retouch upon the match. You hated more than the eyeball match. Let's be nerds for a second. Let's all be comic book and, and sci-fi nerds for a second. Alexis, Alexa, uh, Alexa Bliss showing up in the uh, in the whatever the hell that was. In what are the, we calling that? The Swamp Fox match or whatever. The, the swamp, the swamp ass match. Um, the, swamp, the swamp buggy races. Yeah. <laughs> now we're supposed to believe that she's Sister Abigail this whole time. Well, that's what everybody on the twi- on the Twitter machine was saying, and I'll just read what ha- Harry said. Also, I saw a few people. Uh, getting S over Alexa being sister Abigail. Abigail has powers and it could have just been Bray. Uh, I hope beyond all hope that Alexa Bliss is sister Abigail. (laughs) Because? Because it would just be a great change pace. (laughs) I think I got excited when it popped up on screen uh, with, you know, the the highlights I saw, I have to go back and watch the whole thing. I was like, oh, that would be great if that was her. I didn't get that far because you lost me after <laughs> Braun, Strowman, <laughs> Braun Strowman hit himself on the well, back with, with an oar. It was a – it was a – I like that little effect, by the way. I, I you talk about the match being crap, but I was like, oh, that's kind of clever. Um, so. I uh, – she shows up. And uh, to kind of distract Braun Strowman because of the little thing they used to have. And she was Sister Abigail. But, of course, it was just a um, a mind trick, Jedi mind trick <laughs> by the Fiend. By the way, he's the Fiend again. The Fiend came back out at the end. Braun, Harry, Braun screwed Braun. Thank you, Harry. That, that makes much more sense. I hope they bring... Um, I hope they, they do something with that, and that wasn't just a tease. I wanted Paige to be Sister Abigail or Daphne, but, you know, you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes. No, I, I honestly, there's there's nothing to discuss with this, with that. Says you. Call the match. It was incredibly <laughs> stupid, absolutely ridiculous, uh, and, and it, it has nothing to do with professional wrestling. That's why I can't discuss it. That nothing of that is had anything remotely to do you know what i did dan just real real quick before you tell me what you did remember what vince mcmahon we're not we're here to make movies that's what he's doing he's making movies now but go ahead yeah well well, thanks to this pandemic now he has his opportunity to make (laughs) movies and he's in the happiest place on earth right down the street from disneyland so and he's always said he wanted to be the walt disney of wrestling um great but um what i did i watched all five episodes of the undertaker uh, documentary, The Last Ride. Okay. It took him 20 years to do it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I watched the last chapter where he wanted to go out, you know, the way he wanted to go out. And so, what better way than to do it against AJ Styles, a perfect opponent? And what better match than to have a graveyard match? 
And I saw, and I'm watching this documentary and I'm sawing the making of the graveyard match. So I'm pretty much just watching a behind the scenes look of a Hollywood uh, movie yeah. or TV yeah. movie. Yeah. What the living F does that have to do with wrestling? And they're, well, rest they're having a match, but they have to stop, reposition the camera. All right, take two. Okay, AJ, we're going to take it from this. That I'm on a wrestling podcast, okay? I'm here to talk about wrestling. Yeah. And anytime I hear anyone, even if they're fans of this podcast, say, well, I liked it. It was entertaining. I came to – I want to see – I want to be entertained by a wrestling match, okay? I can watch Walking Dead anytime I want. I can watch War of the Worlds on the Epics. It's the same thing. I can watch – that was the second worst Swamp Thing I ever saw was – <laughs> the uh, was that that match on Extreme Rules? Uh, it's an embarrassment. I hate even just having to watch that. I hate what it's become. I thought it, the the uh, AEW football field um, fuckery was the word was. I think didn't think it can get any worse. Sorry. It's okay. I, I I told you I'm not editing him anymore. Try not to. Okay. If you do, I'm not going to bother. I don't care. That was but that was my only one. But uh, um. Uh, I'm I'm gonna say something here. Say something, and uh, I'm going to actually use Harry on my side on this one. Wow! I liked bad. it. It was entertaining. It wasn't a wrestling match. I don't consider it a wrestling match. I don't consider that's not. It isn't wrestling. It was a vignette, and it will be viewed as a vignette. It was not a wrestling match. In that way. I can separate the two. Now, with that being said, you can still have a bad vignette. And I tag tapped out <laughs> Extreme Rules when that started. <laughs> so I'll have to go back and watch the whole thing. But um, oh, uh, you know what, like folks? That. Do me a favor, folks. Six to eight weeks. Six to eight weeks, wear your mask. Let's kill this virus so we can get back to yeah. a bad product in arenas instead of a bad product in the performance center. Exactly. Please. Be Please, goddammit. Yes, because if you go to a wrestling match, you go down to the spectrum, you go to your local arena, and then you stop watching what's in the ring, you have to look up at a screen <laughs> to see someone settle their feud in a cinematic match, then we've lost. Okay, then even if we, we, we defeat this pandemic, then we've lost as a society. By the way, I will I will say one thing. Nobody's there to look up at the screen. They better not. That's be. the only. We well, can't. They can't. Well, the last, there. The last Monday Night Raw I went to, it was like half the stuff that it was goes on. We have to look at the screen to find out what's going on backstage because there's a camera backstage and everyone has to. That's where all the the angles are are you know are forwarded. I'm gonna call you Craig Cornette, but without the sexual. Um, Cucking. Okay. Well, we'll add the sexual cucking later. <laughs> Get consent but, uh, first. But yeah, well, uh, Mr. Cornette and I are contemporaries, and Mr. <laughs> Cornette and I love our professional wrestling, and Mr. Cornette and I are very upset with the direction it's going. Uh, Harry Barnett had to chime in because I had to look up at the screen for me because that was cheap as because I was cheap as cheap as f. That was. Uh, I'm just not gonna try to replace the F word next time so I don't stutter over my words when I Okay. Well Dan, um as you can see, I've got my 
clear glasses on so I can look clearly into the past, back when professional wrestling did mean something, and when matches took place in the ring and not in swamps where we have to have the lights out outside, even though we're outside, the lights have to go out, and boneyard matches and other things that took place. There was a single camera. There was a single ring. And in some cases, a single announcer to make things work. We're going to go back in time where territories ruled the world, where cable TV uh, meant you could watch more than one wrestling uh, shows at a time or more than one in one day. Titles were called belts and sports entertainment was professional wrestling. Uh, we're going to go back to July 14th, Dan. And I want you to imagine something, and I want all of our, our, our listeners to imagine something. Uh, today is Wednesday, right? And we're, we have two, um, uh, we are another wrestling day that we can watch our favorite wrestling, whatever wrestling you prefer. But imagine, Dan, you go to watch NXT, and you turn on the TV, and you turn to NXT, but instead TNA Impact comes up. That's what occurred on July 14th, 1984. Oh. <laughs> so wrestling fans will always be known as Black Saturday. Uh, we, I always am on the lookout for what other topics could be held in Dark Side of the Ring. Well, this is one. July 14th, 1984, uh, Freddie Miller, a longtime NWA announcer, turned the microphone over to a young Vince McMahon much to the shock of everyone in Georgia, because this was the time slot at 9.05 Saturday morning, July 14th, where Georgia Championship Wrestling would begin. But there was Vince McMahon, the elite announcer for the WWF, there to take over in that time slot. Uh, fans were outraged, of course, and um, it led to a, uh, a really uh, dark turn depending on who you ask in professional wrestling. Now, the seeds of this were took place. See, um, Vince and the WWF had a national cable outlet called USA, a, a relationship they still hold to this day. Well, in the NWA, the, only, the first territory to have its own national cable TV outlet was Georgia Championship Wrestling. That was in 1976. And uh, in 1981, when it went national with TBS, uh, it was the first NWA territory to have its um, its own national time slot. Um, and Vince wanted to expand. This is the beginning of Hulkamania, which is only a couple of months old at this point, uh, after Hogan won the title in 1984. And Vince wanted to expand. So he went to Ted Turner first, and Ted turned him down flat. Said, no, I'm not going to sell, you know, TBS to you. That's my baby. But unbeknownst to uh, Vince and even to Ted Turner at the time, all was not well in Georgia Championship Wrestling. Uh, Ole Anderson was running roughshod, not running roughshod, but uh, he was rubbing people the wrong way with some of his angles and some of the way he wanted to shoot uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling and the kind of the hold that he had on it. Um, so Vince went to the other shareholders in Georgia Championship Wrestling, namely Jim Barnett, and Jack and Jerry Briscoe. And Vince, that silver-tongued devil, talked Barnett and the Briscoes into selling their shares to Vince. 
So Vince became the majority shareholder in Georgia Championship Wrestling. Thus, Vince was able to occupy that time slot, that coveted 9.05 a.m. time slot Saturday mornings on Georgia Championship Wrestling. Um, what Ted Turner didn't know, though, was Vince would go back on his word because in that time slot, Vince would show old WWF shows from the USA Network or uh, snippets from matches that took place at the Boston Garden or Madison Square Garden or the Spectrum in Philly and interviews to build up um, his brand at WWF. And this was against uh, Vince's original deal was to hold, have original programming on TBS. There was no original programming. And ratings began to sink. Well, not began, it sank right away. Because the day that it happened, July 14th, 1984, thousands of calls came into the uh, TBS switchboard, wanted to know where was their beloved Georgia Championship Wrestling? And even more importantly, where was Gordon Soley? Because yeah. that's who the people miss the most. We talked in a previous HIAC Talk Radio about how beloved we are of Bill Mercer and world class. Well, times that by 10 and you have Gordon Soley, uh, the most, maybe the most trusted voice in professional wrestling at the time. Now, his whereabouts were still haven't really been discussed. Um, uh, rumors was that he... Um, heard about the takeover and quit immediately. Other rumors that he was fired, along with a lot of other Georgia Championship Wrestling employees that were fired when Vince took over. But either way, fans were upset that their Georgia Championship Wrestling was gone, and even more importantly, that Gordon Soley was gone too. The ratings were in the toilet and were going down every week uh, that, it, that WWF was on the air and they changed the name from Georgia Championship Wrestling to WWF Georgia Championship Wrestling. Um, in an effort to quell the, uh, the, uh, the ratings lot. And not only were they losing, with the ratings going down, Vince was losing money on this deal. And Ted Turner to combat that, he gave a, uh, to put more wrestling on to counter the WWF program because Southern fans knew, just like I knew back in 1984, while the WWF may be the most popular brand, they were not the best. And they certainly didn't have the best wrestling. I'll use the Dallas Cowboys. Now, the Dallas Cowboys may be the most famous football team in the world. Doesn't mean they're the best. And even Cowboys fans will say it's been a long time since anyone thought of them as the best. As a wrestling fan, I never thought the WWF was the best. That's why I always preferred the NWA. Um, and fans even knew it then too so ted turner to combat that he gave a sunday afternoon slot to bill watts and his mid-south wrestling organization and he gave a saturday morning spot before vince mcmahon to ole anderson so ole anderson's championship wrestling from georgia that came on at 7 30 a.m on Saturday morning, which means he came on at 4.30 a.m. Pacific time. That wrestling match, wrestling uh, show, outdrew Vince's. And the ratings for that Saturday morning show at 7.30 in the morning, Dan, outdraws everything that the WWF and the NXT and NXT are doing right now. 
and AEW combined weren't getting the ratings that Ole Anderson's 7.30 in the morning wrestling show on Saturday were, were getting. To give you an idea how big ratings were back in the day. So uh, Vince trying to get out from under and Vince got, I said July 14, 1984 when Vince took over. It wasn't until March 12th of 1985 that Vince finally had some original programming on it. And that was just to have uh, to build up for WrestleMania that year. And even though he's losing money left and right, he went to Jim Barnett, one of the guys that he bought Georgia Championship Wrestling from for some help. Jim Barnett uh, directed him to Jim Crockett. And uh, Jim Crockett said, I will take the uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling slot off your hands for a million dollars. And Vince took it, sold. So March 24th, 1985 was the last... uh, telecast of the WWF from Georgia Championship Wrestling. Coincidentally, a week before WrestleMania was to uh, to debut. And that uh, was far-reaching because because of that, that, because of what Ted Turner did for Bill Watts and Ole Anderson, giving them national TV outlets, other wrestling federations followed suit. The AWA got a national TV deal with ESPN so did World Class, and so did the USWA. Even Herb Abrams' fledgling UWF got a national cable spot with Sports Channel. So what Ted Turner did was open up the avenue for other wrestling organizations to have a national TV deal, and the one, and the one that took it and ran with it was ECW. But uh, And that $1 million that Vince got from Jim Crockett uh, to sell back uh, his Georgia Championship Wrestling is what financed the first WrestleMania. Yes, indeed. So, July 14th, 1984, Black Saturday is a far-reaching, even to this day, uh, iconic moment in professional wrestling. It still will always be known as Black Saturday. So, <clears throat> how many, um, how long did they broadcast WWF programming in that time slot? From July 14th, 1984 to March, March of 1985. So just under a year. Yeah. Man, that's insane. And the ratings were horrible the whole time because they Completely showed Completely different nothing. product. Yeah. And they showed nothing. But, and if you were already watching WWF, if you watched the WWF from Georgia, it was the same stuff you'd already seen. They didn't have any original programming. And keep in mind, during this whole time, Vince McMahon's deal with USA and the syndicated deal were still going on unabated. Yeah. So he, he already had the, his uh, Tuesday Night Titans and uh, the wrestling show from the USA that he would have anyway. And then um, would also have on Monday, which would start, you know, into Monday Night Raw. So if you were already a fan of WWF, you already saw all this stuff anyway. So it was just, and it, it really clearly showed how fans in Georgia uh, how they like their particular type of wrestling and how much they love Gordon Soley and how the WWF wrestling, wrestling, even though they saw themselves as superior, very much inferior to anything that was happening in Georgia or the Mid-South or, or in world class. Um, uh, WWF had the brand name, but if you want to see actual 
wrestling, exciting stuff. Um, you know, Vince always, uh, I was watching the Andre the Giant documentary on HBO and uh, how it turned into the Vince McMahon show and everything. And he was talking about, I mean, and there was wrestling and uh, before I expanded, they would have wrestling in these tiny studios and, and you know, these makeshift uh, television studios. I said, yeah, and the wrestling kicked ass. The wrestling in these tiny studios in Georgia and in, and in Memphis and in Florida were blown away anything that the WWF was doing. I don't see Ted DiBiase getting seven pile drivers from Terry Gordy on the WWF show. I didn't see Dusty Rhodes bleeding a gusher in front of Gordon Silva. I wouldn't see that on the WWF. I wouldn't see the Freebirds attack David Von Erich um, three on one during a, on a world-class show. I wouldn't see that in the WWF. But, um, man, yeah. But July 14th, 1984, Black Saturday, a dark day in professional wrestling history. Speaking of dark days, um, going back to July 16th, um, 1988. Coincidentally, it's the very first episode of the aforementioned Dark Side of the Ring, July 16th, 1988, uh, was the day we lost Bruiser Brody. Um, and I I found that out by calling a wrestling hotline, Dan. Uh, 295 or 495, the first minute, or whatever. And I just remember being yelled at by my mom by my mom because I called it two or three times in the course of a minute, because one of the things, that, and, um, and you know, Hulk Hogan, will he come back? And the Ultimate Warrior, and, guy, and still looking for it, and still getting details about the murder of Bruiser Brody. I'm like, whoa, what? Well, it's very nonchalant, too. Oh, also, yeah. Bruiser Brody was murdered. But. Yeah, I think first Bruiser Brody's dead, and then he was murdered. And then I found that how, and the who, and, um, there was no and the 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 death of Bruiser Brody is the the epitome of no justice, no peace. And how how we live in a world, especially in 2020, where we're seeing people being dragged off the streets by you yeah. know unmarked people, cars people. and unmarked yes. military. That's fine though. I'm so glad the people with the Second Amendment standing up to the tyrannical government is stepping in there for you. Good, mm-hmm. but. Cut back to 88, we live in a world where people are getting summonses for a court case that had already happened and the decision was already made, and that was allowed to happen. Still blows me away. It blows me away, the the Puerto Rican wrestling fan base. I got into a mini, uh, not a, a well, discussion about um, uh, Jackie, there's someone put up in, in one of the Facebook wrestling groups, a picture of Jackie Venino with yeah. the NWA heavyweight belt sure and it was like who is this guy how does he have the anyway belt and i had to point out um he wrestled rick flair in puerto rico and rick flair has told the story jackie Benino, five six 180 if that but he was the most popular guy in puerto rico uh flair who never heard of him flew down to puerto rico because he had a big payday everyone and going to puerto rico in the 80s was a vacation. Wrestlers took their wives, actually took their wives and their girlfriends and their families. They have a nice payday. Unless you're Bret Hart. Unless you're Bret Hart. Beautiful people. I mean, beautiful, you know, a beautiful um, island and a great getaway. Great payday. Carlos Colon was very good. So, at paying his wrestlers to come down. So, Ric Flair was going to defend his title against this guy he never heard of. He looks out of his, his hotel window and he sees this little tiny guy, five minutes running on a bridge. 
and like 20,000 people were running behind him. They're watching him train for this NWA belt. So during the match, and there's Puerto Rican military police surrounding ringside, and they're supposed to go to a 30-minute draw. And the, the, the ending, classic Flair, classic NWA ending, Flair's caught in a, in a sleeper hold at the 30-minute mark. The bell rings. Everyone thinks that Vinano has won or Flair's been choked out, and it's a draw. Same ending he's done in hundreds of NWA matches around the country. Can't do that in Puerto Rico because everyone thinks that Jackie Vinino's won. And because if he said, well, they said it was a draw, and the fans went crazy, rioting, storming the ring. Flair told the announcer, say that Jackie won. Give him the belt. I need to get out of here. They did that, announced that Vinino had won the NWA belt. Didn't stop the fans from rioting, though. Flair had to legitimately fight his way back to the dressing room and stayed there for two hours before he could leave in an ambulance. He was smuggled out in an ambulance. But he left the NWA belt in, in Santa Domingo for fear of his life. When he came back to regain it, he brought Roddy Piper with him. Even, oh. though, he and, even though he and Roddy Piper were feuding in the Mid-Atlantic area, he brought Piper as his backup uh, because he knows how rough the Puerto Rican crowds were. Piper in the, he was going to interfere, and when he did, the Puerto Rican guards with a rifle stopped him. So even the even the even the security that had semi-automatic rifles were on the side of Jackie Venino and cheered for that were on the side of the faces. Cut to Bruiser Brody terrorizing fans, just like he did in Japan, just like he did in Texas, just like he did anywhere, swinging that wild chain. So fans hated him. Fans were afraid of him. The point where a man named Jose Gonzalez could stab him in the shower and there wouldn't be any, and would pretty much gut him. And there wouldn't be any help for him because the ambulance drivers and just like the medical staff and everyone knew who he was, was afraid of him. And the Puerto Rican fan base was so ingrained, the wrestling was so ingrained about good guys and bad guys. Jose Gonzalez never even had to take, never took the stand in his own defense. His lawyer just claimed self-defense. But be, and because everyone was so afraid of Bruiser Brody, and because wrestling in Puerto Rico is such a uh, time-honored traditional thing, that's all anyone had to say was this big guy came after me, and I was afraid. So I had to kill him. Oh, well, you're not guilty. It's Bruiser Brody. We're afraid of him. We're all afraid of him. We're afraid for you, Jose. You did the right thing. So Dutch Mantel, who was there, was told he could I was told he could testify, was only told after the trial was over. Tony Atlas was also there. The rumor still stands, and I agree, and I believe it, that he was told if he ever not only if he testified. But if he ever came back to Puerto Rico, he'd be killed. Yeah, but that kind of stuff isn't covered up in wrestling. Oh, no, no, no. No. But, uh, yeah, so July 16th, 1988, Frank the Hammer Goodish, one of the greatest heels and greatest performers in professional wrestling, was taken from us. I just knew he had an ECW run in him at some point. Oh, God, yes. God, can you imagine in 1998 or 97 – well, no, it was 96. Sorry, I'm getting the years wrong. But Terry Gordy could have been in the company at the same time as Brody. Wow. And you know, can, you, 
Can you imagine the Cactus Jack Bruiser Brody matches? And let me just state the obvious here. We we've come to known been come to known as mm-hmm. um, Bruiser Brody was a difficult creature. Yeah, that does not justify his murder. Shut mm-hmm. up. Exactly. I saw that when the, uh, a lot of people talk about. Well, he was not a nice person when that episode aired. I'm like. He was murdered. Yeah. I can see, you know, beating the crap out of him because you finally get tired of his bull crap. I mean, somebody can only say something about you over and over again before you snap and do something about it. So, yeah, that would have happened eventually, but murder, no. And the people that had a problem with Bruiser Brody were pretty much just promoters. And, you and, know, Lex Luger. and Lex Luger. And and Brody's even said in his interview, I had no I had no beef with Luger at all. My beef was with, you know, the ending of the match and with uh what I was told and what was actually going to happen. Yeah. So and if Bruiser Brody doesn't want to sell, he ain't gonna sell. And Lex Luger, you know, wisest man on earth, he climbed out of the ring when he found that Bruiser wasn't wasn't playing and that I would have done it too. Forearm, he's like, yeah. Okay. See you I'm later. <laughs> let me climb over the, Let me just climb over this cage very gingerly. Um. Yeah. But uh. But Brody had said oh, in interviews that he had never had any beef with Lex Luger. Um. It was. It was from. And uh. I'm glad he, he's dead. Oh. <laughs> uh, then you. Then you're. You must be glad you're missing out on history because Bruiser Brody would have been. We had so many great matches left no, in him, no. and I also believe he. Uh. He and Hogan. Uh, had history in Japan. He he could have been one of the guys that Hogan brought in, one of the giants that Hogan brought in to uh, to slay. The one time we would have benefited from a Hogan friend. Yeah. Well, one yeah. of one of a few times. Yeah. Just not to offend anybody out there. You know, because uh, Hogan's a good guy too. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we lost Bruiser Brody July sixteenth, nineteen eighty eight. Uh, July seventeenth, uh, nineteen eighty nineteen ninety four. I apologize. Um, was the WCW's first bash at the beach, Dan. And it was also uh, the first WCW pay-per-view for Hulk Hogan. And it was also the first time that Hulk Hogan wrestled Ric Flair one-on-one in a pay-per-view. They had uh, two years to do it in the WWF, and they wrestled one on one and nothing but house shows in front of with no cameras, and not even on television did they wrestle each other one on one. So the first Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair match, which was ten years in the making on pay per view, took place July seventeenth, nineteen ninety four, at WCW's first Bash at the Beach. Now uh, I want to say that that took place. That took the place of Beach Blast, correct? Yes, my memory serves correctly. Um, as much crap as I give Hogan, and even though I don't like Terry, I still separate that from Hogan. Mm-hmm. That being said, a lot of Hogan I can't stand, general. Yeah, but I was just talking to Jenny and Kelly about this this weekend. The man has flashes of brilliance. Mm-hmm. And one of those matches is Ric Flair Hulk Hogan at Bash at the Beach. I, you, you, you couldn't get anywhere near those two without mm-hmm. feeling the heat from that match. 
Now, some would argue, mm-hmm. and they'd be correct, that it did change for a little while the face of the company, not for the best. When you look at the yeah. Starcade before and after Hogan, mm-hmm. and see what was up at the top and how that, what the results were. But it did start the turn for WCW finally. And yeah. you can't deny that. And you, you can, certainly can't deny Hulk Hogan's as much as I'd like to. You can't deny his place in history in professional wrestling, what he did for the sport. No. Um, that match is amazing. <laughs> I just want to say that. I, and see, when you said one would argue, I would, uh, I'm not arguing with anything what you just said about how it turned. One would argue that it only turned when Hogan turned. In true. two years, two years later, That's true. Um, and as far as this match goes, I think it was lost in some of the window dressing because if you remember, Hogan came to the ring with Shaquille O'Neal, Jimmy Hart, and Mr. T. Yeah, and Mr. Shaquille T. holding the title, looking at him, going, Mm-mm. 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 <laughs> and uh, Mr. T kidnapping Sherry, a uh, sensational Sherry who was forgot about Kermit. that. Yeah, I didn't see. <laughs> So when you're talking about a great match, those are the things I remember. Is I remember Shaq and Jimmy Hart and Mr. T and Mr. T walking away with Sherry over his shoulder. Isn't, isn't that the night of uh, Steamboat Austin? Yes, Dan. It's like you're reading my notes. Friend Sorry, I, I was reading over your shoulder. I was going to say, because that's not all on that card. Okay. <laughs> uh, if, if that's not all, and that's not it, um, if you act now. Uh, yes, the United States champion uh, Steve Austin defeated Ricky Steamboat, and I believe this was a match where Ricky Steamboat injured himself. Um, you he talked about great, yeah, I mean, he wouldn't have known, and he's that same bump that he's taken hundreds of times. And this one, um, he was on the second turnbuckle, and he went back and he sat back and he landed on his butt, but that one landing uh, disrupted everything in his back. And um, he had to end his career. But you talk about great, mate. You talk about the Hogan Flair match, that being great. If you want to see vintage Steve Austin, before he came into the WWF, before the, the Owen um, mishap, uh, Steve Austin, Ricky Steamboat is vintage Steve Austin. So Steve bad. Austin many times, and he will take it to his grave. That Ricky Steamboat is the best man he's ever been in the ring with. Watch those guys go. And it's a, it's a work of art. That I'm sorry. That also had Regal and um, um, uh, Johnny B. Bad, right? Yeah. I don't remember hating that match either. That's no. that's TV title Regal. I mean, that's great yeah. stuff there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and what you said also holds true that the 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 the, the beginning of kind of the, the downward spiral of you got to see the the matches that happened before Hogan got there and the matches afterwards. And then you're going to see more and more pay-per-views populated by Hogan's friends, by former WWF superstars, and seeing guys like Austin, guys like Regal, guys like Johnny B. Bad kind of being pushed away down by the wayside. Um, and that's when the quality of WCW starts going down. And you see Ric Flair losing time and time and time again to Hulk Hogan. You know what I do like about this show? As I'm, I just brought up the Wikipedia page, seven matches. <laughs> Yeah, it's over. It's over. Shows are too long now. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and they drag it out. Um, also on that date, um, another big title change. Uh, even though it's fairly recent, I usually like to stay in the past with this one. But July 17, 2011, only because of how memorable 
the crowd was and the moment was. Uh, July 17th, 2011, WWE Money in the Bank in Chicago. In one of the most partisan crowds I've ever seen. The only other partisan crowd I saw like this also included John Cena. Uh, in uh, New York, when uh, John Cena went up against Rob Van Dam in a decidedly anti-Cena crowd. Uh, at WWE Money in the Bank, July 16th, 2011 in Chicago. John Cena was defending the WWE Championship against Chicago's own CM Punk. Uh, CM Punk making it very clear that once he won the WWE Championship, he was leaving. His contract had ex was going to expire at midnight on July 17, 2011, and he would leave the company and take the WWE title with him. Um, John Cena came into the ring just like he did against Rob Van Dam to a chorus of heavy, thunderous boos, but walked in with the championship belt held above his head, head down, and responded to all the boos. Uh, Punk and him would have a, a very good match. Even Vince McMahon came out, coming out at the back to try to recreate the Montreal screw job, telling the referee to ring the bell when uh, Cena had uh, Punk in the... Um, and the attitude or the or sorry the STFU, uh, Punk would prevail, would win the WWE title, would exit Chicago through through the uh, through the crowd, and um, in one of the more memorable title reigns, and in one of the great angles, and it's the last time I have to go back almost less than ten years. Yeah. When I actually cared, um, I think they could have. Milk. I think that's one of the one of the few things they botched. I think they could have milked that. Um, yeah, it was right away he came out. He right? came back a week later. Yeah. yeah. If they if they had kept him out until SummerSlam, you could have sold out a stadium. I remember there. It's in the histories of HIAC Talk Radio. Mm -hmm. The one of the last few times in recent history where a match ended, and I went, huh. Yeah. Because for all intents and purposes, he was gone. There's no way Vince was going to let him win this match, right? Yeah, right, yeah. And then he wins, and you're like, but, but wait a second, hold on. <laughs> Every yeah. now and then, Vince still pulls it out of his ass. and Yeah, and that was one. That's why I had to include it in this week's wrestling story. Because that was one it's of my... wrestling history. It, yeah. Perfect. It is the segment for it, because that will go down as a classic moment in wrestling. And then, and while I agree with you 100% without reservation or argument that they waited, they didn't wait long enough to have that moment. Should have been a while. Should have yeah. gone on and had John Cena have a title for a month and then. Yeah. But still, if you listen to that crowd. Yes, the crowd. I was just what I was going to say, Dan. Dude, that's what I miss the most. When I talk about things that not just what in the past, but uh, the heat from that crowd, what they the heat they had towards Cena, who was the company's top babyface, they walking in Chicago against against Punk. You know, he knew how to read the room and he acted accordingly. He didn't act like a heel, but he acted like he knows that he's in, he's in enemy territory, and that's a great part on John Cena, great on CM Punk, a, uh, an incredibly uh, interesting and, and important match in wrestling history. Uh, speaking of wrestling history, Dan, staying on that date, July 17th, um, do you know who was born in West Baden, Germany on that date? What year? 
Uh, was, this is 45 years ago? No. On July 17th? I'm fr- I'm, I thought you would have taken off from work for, for that day. Because uh, uh, in, Wies- in Wiesbaden, Germany, 45 years ago, July 17th. <laughs> Go ahead. Happy belated birthday to Daphne. I forgot she was born. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I knew I'd get you. Oh, oh, oh. Happy birthday to my Twitter follower. Uh-huh, you got her. Don't know. How, well, I do know how. And thank, you, old, <laughs> I don't thank you. Thank you, old friend. I'm not allowed to talk about it anymore. <laughs> but thank happy, you, old friend. Welcome. Happy well, belated. Somebody was giving her crap about her work. And I replied to that guy calling, telling him basically he was an idiot. And she retweeted my treat, thinking I was on his side. And I was like, no! No! Hold on a second! <laughs> and that was quickly rectified, where I was apologized to a thousand times, and I didn't want that apology a thousand times. Uh, and just to say that my heart grew three sizes that day, and not due to the fact that I eat a lot of food. <laughs> Well, happy belated birthday, Daphne. Sorry, were you are you happy that I got it eventually? Like, oh, 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 oh. Uh, no, I, I I wanted to be the one to tell you so I could see the look on your face. When no, you, you know, <laughs> I, uh, the crazy kind of a-hole that I was like, I could see it on her Wikipedia page. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, July 18th. Um, wait a minute, did I miss one? I think I missed one. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, uh, July 18th. I apologize. Um, big day for title wins. Historic title wins. Uh, July 18th, 1980. Dan in um, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yes? Uh, real quick about Daphne. She does cameo, and my birthday is August 16th. Just wanted to let anybody, everybody know that. Thanks. Continue, please. Little plug. Sorry, I just wanted to get that out there. Uh, again, that Daphne does cameo, and my birthday is August 16th. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. So, okay. okay. So then now you know what to get Dan for his Thank birthday, you. everyone, Daphne including cameo, Daphne. August 16th. Boom. Uh, July 18th, uh, the day of historic title wins. July 18th, 1980. Vern Gagne defeated Nick Bockwinkle for his 10th and final. AWA championship. Wow. For him to hold that belt for another 10 months before retiring as champion. But uh, July 18th, 1980, Vern Gagne ended the five-year reign of Nick Bockwinkle for his 10th and final AWA championship. This is where I take the opportunity, as usual, whenever we mention Bick, Nick Bockwinkle. Bick Knockwinkles? No. Other way around, Nick Bockwinkle. <laughs> Only I could do that perfectly and tell you how good he was and who he was the best person on the mic ever, unlike your host who can't speak English right now. Go ahead. Staying on that day, July 18th, 1989, uh, Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson would defeat Demolition to become the first team ever to be NWA Tag Team Champions and the WWF Tag Team Champions. Wasn't the Road Warriors, wasn't the Dudleys. Then the Italian Arn won their first and only 
WWF Tag Team title. Insane. Yes. And that ended Demolition's first title reign, too. Uh, but Tully and Arn, when they won the, won the WWF Tag Team Championship, they became the first team to ever hold the NWA Tag Team titles and the WWF Tag Team Championship. I have a question. Yes. Uh, Mr. Historian, Professor. Teach me, oh, Professor. Uh, we're watching, as I said, the, uh, I'm in the midst of Demolition and Road Warriors right now. Mm-hmm. Why does uh, Barry Darso uh, make faces the entire time? <laughs> Promo that. I, I, that was that was his Ed, that was the Ed Sharkey training. Um, that was the uh, the Ed Sharkey training that he uh, followed. And remember, uh, this is the first time, and out of the multitudes of aliases that Barry Darso has had during his wrestling career, this is the first time he re- actually really had got a chance to let loose. That's true. When he was part of the Koloffs, you know, he was very stoic. When he was Crusher Darso, the Russian sympathizer with Nikolai Volkov, he was very stoic. With Demolition, the first time he's wearing face paint, you know, to emulate his uh, his Minnesota buddies, Hawk and Animal. So that's how he would... Uh, yeah, Just, did, he was good. Up. He's good on the promo. He, he's never terrible, but... And then they they cut to either crush or um, I'm having a brain fart. Axe. Axe. Thank you. Uh, and he he never stopped moving. He he do this thing. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Stop and it. he also God. has to remember this is WWF, so everyone had to be a character. This is during, during the height of the cartoon. The Mountie. The 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 goon. T.L. Hopper, Skinner. <laughs> T.L. Hopper. Ruth, the Red Rooster. So everyone, you, uh, ha- you have to be a cartoon yeah. at this point. So that's why. It reminds me of um, uh, Will Sasso was on our favorite radio show. And um, they were the guys were talking, and rightfully so, about his work in, in the Three Stooges movie and yeah. playing Curly. And he didn't realize... When Curly, when Mo and Larry are talking, the hand gestures that Curly was doing, the feminine hand gestures that Curly was doing, and Will Sasso said, "When I I always watch the Stooges, but when I got the role, I just watch watch Curly's hands during any Three Stooges. When he's, you know, when he's when Mo and Larry is talking, he's always, you know, doing so. So he's always doing something. So, so he's moving, yeah, yeah. So that was uh, Darso or Fat Darso." as Ernie Ladd called him. Fat um, yeah, and fat he was allowed because he's Ernie Ladd. Yeah. <laughs> and you remember what he called Bundy. Bundy, you fat piece of ass. <laughs> what are you going to do? Tell him, to, hey, yeah, you know exactly. what? Ernie, I don't like what he called me that. Okay, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> I'm right, I cover the grounds I walks on. I'm Ernie Ladd. Remember what I did to the Briscoes? You fat yeah. piece of ass because I said so. <laughs> Funny, you fat piece of ass. We bring guys in, they get you over, and what do you do? You dumb yourself out of position. Hey, come on, fat Darso. <laughs> fat Darso. He wasn't even that fat. <laughs> no, nah, it didn't matter. He just called fat Darso. <laughs> you piece of crap. <laughs> oh, you, missed the, you missed the spot. Or when he held Steve with Dr. Death Williams in a, in a corner just for five minutes. Because he was he was he was really excited and he could he was missing his spine and Bernie just kept him in a corner and wouldn't let him out. This is Steve Doctor Death Williams, who's no slouch, but Ernie wouldn't let him out of the corner. Said they gotta learn you something, kid. He was trying to learn you something. 
there's I don't want to get on Ernie Ladd tangent again because we've done it like twice in a year, but if the, if Ernie wanted or didn't want somebody to do something, it just the way it was. Yep. <laughs> I, yeah, Ernie Ladd. Um, but a great, great teacher, great motivator. Um, and those insults to uh, Barry Darso, to King Kong Bundy, to Jim Cornette, Ted DiBiase, Junkyard Dog, made them the superstar that they are. What was the one? He, what did he call Jim? Nyhart? No, no, no. Cornette. Oh, you said Cornette. Oh, Cornette. oh, he just he just called him Corny. And and when that oh, by the Corny time style. he got and by the time he got there, um Ernie was kinda on his way out. He was still the main booker, but he was kinda on his way yeah. out. Um but he just and when he got there he just heard stories, you know, because that's how big and and literally and figuratively Ernie Ladd was. So when Jim Cornette debuted in Mid South, you just heard stories about where Ernie Ladd would, would tell people, would call some people. And people would use their Ernie Laddisms to other people. Because you're going to dumb yourself out of position, kid. Going to dumb your way out of position. That's one of the best things I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, well, Fat Dasso uh, and his partner, Axe, lost their uh, WWF Tag Team Championships to uh, Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson, July 18th, 1989. <laughs> Staying on that date, July 18th, 1993. This, this date is uh, for a first and last title reigns. July 18th, 1993, Ric Flair defeated Barry Windham for the NWA title for his 10th and final NWA championship. Uh, now, during this title reign, the uh, NWA would, would uh, opt out of WCW, and the title would be renamed the WCW International title. And uh, the uh, WCW World Championship will take the place of the NWA title. But Ric Flair's uh, win over Barry Windham for the NWA title would be his 10th and final NWA championship win. I just respect WCW for keeping the lineage well after the NWA was gone. Yeah. And, you know, the Goldberg matches where he was champ. This uh, lineage of this championship dated back to 1905. I was like, he was a kid. I'd be like, uh. That's been uh, that's been gone for a while there. I don't know. And when you look at WCW title history, they keep the lineage. It's like melded on there now. Yeah, but the United States Championship that the WF has. Don't they, even get me started. Don't make any sense. Here. Yeah. Uh, that was July 18th. July 20th, 1963. Now, Dan, you remember I said just earlier, July 18th, 1980, Vern won his 10th AWA championship? Yeah. Well, July 20th, 1963, Vern Gagne defeated the Crusher for his fourth <laughs> AWA championship. So that was 17 years apart between when Vern Gagne won his fourth title, 1963, to 1980, when he won his 10th AWA championship. Vern must have known somebody. Uh, yeah, Vern knew himself. <laughs> and uh, it's one way to run a company and you're the top guy. You can keep yourself on top for as long as you want. And to Vern's credit, uh, Vern, a legendary teacher of professional wrestlers, namely the aforementioned Ric Flair, namely the aforementioned Ricky Steamboat, you train in the Vern Gagne uh, gym or under the tutelage of Vern Gagne, you keep yourself in phenomenal shape, and you never get tired. Uh, Vern Gagne wrestlers from – Flair, Steamboat, Ken Batera, Iron Sheik, uh, they may not have the best matches. Well, in, in Batera and Iron Sheik's case, they may not have the best matches, but they never get tired. 
and Flair, even though he drank the excess every single day for 30 years straight, and pills and women and what have you, uh, never got tired. Could still yep. wrestle a 60-minute match uh, every day of the week and twice on Sunday. And never blow up. Uh, Vern Gagne, the, the man who taught all of those men conditioning and cardiovascular and weight training and all that. Uh, and if any other person could do it, could win a title in 1963 and then win the same title 17 years later in 1980. It would have been Vern. It would have been Vern at 51 years old. Um, won his final AWA title. But yeah, it was July 20th, 1963. Ten years later, in Houston, Texas, funk country, which will come into play later, Jack Briscoe would defeat Harley Race to win his first NWA championship. Uh, Jack Briscoe had a long feud with Dory Funk Jr. in, in, in Florida and in Texas. Uh, the plan was for Jack Briscoe to win the NWA title in Texas. Dory Funk, of course, said no. Enter Harley Race, who had long been a favorite of the NWA and long been a great uh, wrestler, technician, um, dependable, and uh, could work his ass off. Uh, he had defeated Dory Funk Jr. Um, only 57 days earlier. And so Jack Briscoe would defeat Harley Race to win his first NWA title. And Harley Race wouldn't win the uh, championship again for another four years. And before he won the title again, Harley Race had the distinction of being the shortest reigning NWA champion oh, wow. ever. Wow. Ever. Harley Race was a, was a footnote. He only held the title for, for 57 days. And uh, until he regained it, February 6, 1977, he was known as the shortest reigning NWA heavyweight champion ever. But Jack Briscoe will win his first title in 1973, July 20th. Which brings us to today. Another big day of birthdays. Um, uh, Akira Tozawa turned 35 today. And um, Shawn Michaels, aforementioned, turned 55 today. Yeah, but which one? The one to the left or the one to the right? Uh, Michael Sean Higginbottom uh, would be, uh, turns uh, 55 years old today. I don't know if he can if he can see clearly. I don't know which if I'm talking to this one or that one. I can make I can make that joke. I too have a lazy eye. Not as pronounced as Sean because no. when, I was, when I was watching that Undertaker documentary, I had to kind of watch it like this. I had to, I had to just listen to his voice. And if you want a good follow on Twitter. Wrestling nope. fan, Shawn, Shawn Michaels' lazy eye. No, that's not a thing. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's like Hope Solo's butthole. Yes. I have to look that up. Yes, yeah, Shawn Michaels' lazy eye. Uh, it used to be that bad, but I uh, wore uh, bifocals to straighten the hell out of it. Okay. Yeah, I didn't, before you told me, I didn't, I didn't even know. Uh, other <laughs> other birthdays. Um, I have to look this up. Posthumously, uh, David Von Erich would have been 62 today. Wow. And had she lived, and I wasn't betting against it, but um, Lillian Ellison, the fabulous Mula, would have been 97 years old. Well, I'm glad she wasn't alive for all the stuff that came out about her earlier. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, on this day, 1994, um, after 16 hours of deliberation, 
a jury found Vince McMahon not guilty of conspiracy to distribute steroids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 26 years ago today. Mm-hmm. And that, gentlemen and ladies, is the wrestling historian. Well, Craig, I want to thank you for that lovely trip back into the past to talk about the wrestling that kicked ass. I just, uh, still, I cannot find Shawn Michaels' lazy eye on Twitter anywhere. I have to find that. I'm sorry. Uh, but I was stealing that song from the angry video game nerd. <laughs> Craig, next yes. week, Nerd Herders returns. So I am unsure at, as of this writing if we will have a wrestling historian. We'll see how it goes. Write it just in case. I always do. And if not, we'll merge it into the following week. Uh, this is going to be our first try to uh, take a break. Take a break. Take a break from. Take a break from. I need to take a break from wrestling uh, podcasting, and uh, I think. I envision it as doing a show for the Nerd Herders and then doing Wrestling Historian, so we still have a Wrestling Historian episode. Yes, with special You'll guest Bic Knockwinkle. Bic Knockwinkle, Jesus. Leg Krigons, where can people follow you? Uh, people can follow me <laughs> if they choose to. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Craig Ligon, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Uh, that's going to be a Twitter highlight and a Facebook highlight within uh, the next uh, day or two. Bick Knockwinkle. Uh, follow me at, on Twitter at Nandall83. Nan, no, Danlaw83. Viewsedation.com uh, for the podcast. And should also go to your smartphone. It's working now on Android. Google finally got their head out of their ass and got rid of Google Play Music. Now Google Podcasts. Go to your iPhone or your Android. Type in VOC Nation Radio Network. Pops up right there. Easy now. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your family who doesn't like wrestling that we're just awesome and to subscribe. And of course, if you're not watching live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Daniel83. Live streaming Monday through Fridays at 8 p.m. Every Wednesday. Nerd Herders are wrestling. If you're on YouTube, if you're on Twitch and you want to see the finished product on YouTube, youtube.com slash Daniel83. I made it so easy. Just type in Daniel83. For Craig Lagans, I am Can Dalachico. We'll see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Wow. Hey, this is a Total Package, Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. Check out In the Room. Every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right, Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Kaku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into like snuff film territory there. In the room, 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Wrestling with history, the voice of choice, and killer can wrestling. When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airline cheese omelets.
Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and who could have cried? Adnan lost a lot of family in the Iraqi war. Everybody loves Granny. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that. Yes, Dylan, you guys are busting me up. Catch Wrestling with History with Ken Resnick and I live on VOCNation.com Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern Time or listen to the podcast by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Stadium Journey, the worldwide leader in stadium reviews for the traveling sports fan, is proud to present the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Join us as we talk with prominent figures from around the sports world to discuss issues pertaining to sports travel and stadiums around the globe. New episodes air on VOC Nation Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Join Paul Baker, Dave Cartney, Mark Viquez, Dan Calachico, and guests from throughout the sports world on the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. Yo, this is Jerry Stags of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You get ready to get nasty? Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, because it's about to get nasty all around and up in this mother. Get ready. Nasty sensation is coming at you. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.